Hey everybody and welcome into the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and Spotify. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and in today's episode, we'll do a recap of the NBA, including a discussion on the boycott. We will also be touching on NFL news. We'll touch a little bit about some of the other major sports news going on, and then we'll shift to our best for last. Now sit back and get ready to learn something. Hey everybody and welcome in to the newest edition. Um, just gonna be honest, I did not expect this show to go like this Tuesday. I came in Tuesday morning, heck even Wednesday morning, you know, talking about how anticipating that the Lakers were gonna close out the Trailblazers yesterday and that Houston or Oklahoma City is gonna take commanding three two lead in their series. Especially with Russell Westbrook coming back, Houston might have gotten that. And then Oklahoma City playing Denver, that was going to be a war. Just find out who was going to either, either they were going to end the series tonight or was going to extend another game. The Bucks, I anticipated they were going to close out the Magic. I had everything planned out, you know, how I was going to talk about how great basketball, start giving second round predictions because Raptors and Celtics were supposed to start even before the first round officially ended. They were going to push their series forward. I was going to talk about the advantages of the rest. If one of them finishes the other off quickly, how they can get up to a week maybe of rest, a week and a half of rest before conference semifinals, something unprecedented. I had anticipated doing all that. And then the professional athletes of the NBA, specifically the Milwaukee Bucks, decided to take action into their own hands. They decided to justly and correctly protest the shooting of Jacob Blake in Wisconsin. Milwaukee is about 45 miles away from where the shooting occurred. And they had discussions throughout the league with league leaders, uh, NBA PA leaders such as LeBron James and Chris Paul. They had discussed the possibility of doing a joint boycott where they could sit two, three, four days, even longer if action was not done the way they saw fit. They were to sit before the second round. So a lot of want to finish the first round series, that way some teams would be gone. You would have either OKC or Houston gone, more than likely Portland would be gone, Orlando would be gone, and a few other teams would be gone, it'd be conference semifinal sign. That way less players would be in the thick of it and they could do a boycott of three or four A's to show support for Jacob Blake and the family, along with other social injustices that has gone on in this country. And instead, the Bucks effectively went rogue. They decided to do it in their own game versus the Magic for their game five. They never came on the court. It wasn't a huge story. It wasn't even really thought about. It might have been odd with about 10 minutes. You know, the Bucks haven't left the locker room. And then about six minutes left on the clock before the game starts, it starts getting circulated like crazy. You have Chris Haynes, Adrian Wozanowski, everybody that was at the game, covering the game and on the floor, Sean Sharonia. They start talking about how the Bucks haven't come out, the Bucks haven't come out. The Magic begin to look around. It's like six minutes left and the Bucks have not entered the floor. I mean, it's either the greatest mental ploy ever because now you're wondering, are they even coming? or something's going on. 
And so team officials now are going to the locker room, but they don't go in. NBA officials, top NBA officials start going down to the locker room, but they don't go in. A couple minutes later, the Orlando Magic leave the floor. They leave the floor and head back to their own locker room. And then it comes out that the Bucks are boycotting the game. And when this happens, it is like the floodgates opened. It is like everyone in the NBA, even in the sporting community, finally got the, there it is. They got the gate open for them to express their feelings. Within minutes, you have Donovan Mitchell tweeting about things need to change. LeBron James tweeting a very impassioned message that things need to change, along with plenty of other athletes. Everyone in the league, all the big time stars are tweeting left and right that things need to change and that they have to change. Shortly after that, now we're trying to figure out, okay, is the game gonna be scored an Orlando Magic victory? How are they gonna do it? Will the Magic leave the arena? I mean, forget leave the court. They pack up and leave the arena. They're gone within 30 minutes. And they decide to not accept the forfeit of the Bucks, which put the NBA in a spot. Either you can give the Magic the forfeit win, or you decide to postpone. Well, then if you postpone their game, what about the other games today? And so then it comes out, you see a clip of Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook in the hallway talking like they're discussing something. A few minutes later, the Rockets and the Thunder decide to boycott their game. Now at that point, it was one of those, what are the Lakers gonna do? Because Portland was gonna play at the Lakers saying, let's play. Portland was gonna play. But now all eyes turn to the Lakers and it was a matter of minutes. And then the Lakers and the Portland Trailblazers decided to cancel their game, which left a lot of different situations going on at once. Because now you've got TNT with five and a half, six hours of content they don't have. You have basketball done for the day, which up until five minutes before the Bucks game was supposed to tip was seen as not even a possibility. If you would have told me Wednesday morning that we wouldn't have basketball for two days, three days, I would have looked at you were crazy. I would have thought COVID somehow infected the bubble and that the test results just coming back and it was rampant COVID positivity and they shut it down and panicked and all the other stuff. Not because of a protest. Honestly, I didn't think that the NBA players would protest. They were in the bubble. Because I honestly thought that this country would hold itself together long enough for them not to do that. With the Black Lives Matter on the court, with the messages on the back of the jersey, I just figured that if something were to happen, and if something were to go wrong, that the players would use their platforms even more. You see them on post-game interviews, you see them pre-game interviews, when they're talking, when they're just conversing, when they're on the court, they're always talking about Breonna Taylor's, Ahmaud Aubrey's, Jacob Blake's, and all the other incidents that have happened with police officers. They're constantly mentioning it. And so I thought that that would be a situation that would be enough in terms of awareness sakes. But when the Bucks decided to do what they did, followed by the rest of the NBA, it reverberated. Not long after that, the WNBA, they come out with t-shirts that spell Jacob Blake, and each one of the shirts have seven bullet holes in the back because Jacob Blake was shot seven times in the back by Kenosha police. And so the WNBA joined the front lines in their discussion and their protests, and they decided to not play. Major League Baseball, they decided to not play once the Bucks sat down. NFL have been canceling practices 
left and right in protests as well and to have creative discussions and things of that nature. Major League Soccer held joint protests and they decided to not play. They boycotted their games, which was ultimately postponed. You've got the only sport to play was the NHL, the National Hockey League. They were the only sport to play. Um, they're also probably the least diverse sport in the country. I'm not sure those two things are connected, but it is an interesting parallel. But when you've got all major sports, basically, besides hockey, deciding to shut it down for a day, it really brought awareness and it really brought attention back to this issue. And so now everybody's wondering, okay, is it for the playoffs? And then reports starts coming out that their players are going to have a meeting that night. They're going to vote on whether they want to do this thing anymore. People were starting to get cabin fever anyway because of the bubble. It wasn't the most conducive environment for a married man to be in. And what I mean by that is, and that's like LeBron's case. He's used to having his wife, used to having his kids. If he goes on a road trip, even with the Lakers, Grammy road trip, it's a week, week and a half. And I, Lakers and the Clippers always talk about how tired they are by like game four of the road trip. Even though it's usually a five or six game swing, they're so tired because they're in hotel rooms all the time. They're not sleeping in their own bed. They don't have their own routine. Usually the energy that kids could provide, a wife could provide, even sleeping in your own bed could provide, isn't there. And so reporters have been there like Chris Haynes, he's been there two months. So I know he's been there two months, the reporters came in right around the time the players did. So the average player's been in the bubble around two months themselves, not seeing their wives, not seeing their kids, not seeing their significant others, not sleeping in their own bed, not having the meals they're used to, the trainings they're used to, the nutrition they're used to. So a lot of these guys are used to a certain lifestyle. They're millionaire basketball players, 99% of them. They're used to living a certain way of life and a certain means of life. And so being in the bubble was a culture shock. It was like going back to AAU as a rich person, because you can't use your money. It was a very interesting situation. And so people started wondering, is the NBA season over? Well, the players had a meeting and all but two teams voted to continue the season. Now the vote was unofficial, but it was one of those gauge votes where it was like, okay, if nothing changes, if we had to vote right now, go or stay, what are you guys doing? And LeBron James walked out of the meeting. Um, he said he wanted ownership accountability. He wanted owner action. Uh, at first the coaches were involved. Doc Rivers spoke up very highly about voting and about making sure you get your community to vote and making sure that you yourself vote, your family votes, because that's going to put the legislation in place to enact change. But eventually the coaches left or were kicked out. They were no longer part of the meeting. And so when the players started, LeBron talked up. You have guys like Udonis Haslam that spoke up. George Hill spoke up. Several different guys spoke up. And like I said, LeBron walked out of the meeting uh, after voting to not continue the season. And the Clippers and the Lakers followed not too long after. Both LA teams were gone, which prompted Miami Heat and Giannis Haslam to say, if they're out, what are we even doing here? Because what's a championship run without the number one and the number two seed in the West? Invariably, if they leave, the Bucks are probably gone too because they have a victim of police brutality on their team in Sterling Brown, who was assaulted by police for parking in the wrong spot, in essence. Parking illegally. 
officially. And so when you've got a situation like that, where your biggest star was out, your two of your best three teams are out, the NBA was dark. It was in a dark place Wednesday night because you're looking at the season could be over. These guys want to protest. They want to use their voice. They want to use their influence. And speaking on that, the Bucks got on the phone with the Attorney General of Wisconsin. They got on the phone with the Lieutenant Governor of Wisconsin, asking, what are they going to do about this? Because as George Hill said in the Bucks statement, when they get on the court, they're expected to perform at the highest possible level and represent Wisconsin or represent themselves, or represent the Bucks at the highest possible level of integrity and that police officers should be held to the same standard. And those words were extremely powerful. They are using their influence. They're trying to get ownership. They're demanding that ownership goes out and use their political influence. You know, these guys get stadiums built, they get tax breaks, they get anything they need from these politicians to fund their projects. And then they turn around and fund the politicians' campaigns. They give a lot of money to get their specific agenda across. And so when you have situations like that, the players know that. The players don't always have an ear to the lieutenant governor, the attorney general. They don't always have that ear. And so they want the owners to use their power and influence to affect change. Now, someone who got involved, an owner, was Michael Jordan. Now, Michael Jordan has a very unique perspective. He is the only African-American owner. He's the only owner as a former player. And Michael Jordan is an owner himself. So he has the owner perspective, the black man perspective. He was poor, got rich. He completed the entire cycle. He served as a liaison between the owners and the players and what they want because Michael knows both sides. He knows every side of the coin. He knows every single side of the coin. And so that was a very interesting thing to hear because usually Michael says out of things like that. When he donated the $100 million over 10 years, people were dumbfounded and shocked because usually Michael stays away. He does his best to not alienate anyone. He's all for everyone. That's just not something he gets involved in because he said it himself that he doesn't know politics so he doesn't get involved because he doesn't want to do something ignorantly and not know what he's doing. And so he served as a liaison between the players and the owners. Uh, ultimately, the players had a meeting Thursday morning. So did the Board of Governors and the players voted after a night of sleep to continue the season. I think that's a good decision. I think it's a great decision, actually, because their platforms are never bigger. With the games, you can do pre-game interviews talking about the issues, post-game interviews talking about the issues. Usually during the game, they're on the game. Um, that's something that they've gotten really good at compartmentalizing. You know, if it's a halftime question or a quarterback question, they're answering the question. But they have done a great job in post-game interviews. We saw Doc Rivers, pre-game interviews, you see messages on the back of jerseys. I didn't even know 95% of these guys' stands. Of course, you've seen the LeBron James, you've seen the Jalen Brown, the Ennis Cantor, the Damian Lillard, the Steph Currys, and they've been out publicly in their community. Maybe I missed a few others, but I didn't know what Danny Green's stands was. I didn't know what Marcus Morris was wanting to do. I didn't know what Victor Oladipo was into because you don't see these guys because they're not superstars of the league. They don't get the media coverage for going out and protest like the superstars do. 
And so I think that having messages on the back of jerseys and messages on the court and post-game interviews is the perfect opportunity for players to get their message across and to connect their national media and to connect with millions of ears and eyes every single night, all day. We've had basketball since the thing came back, primarily from around noon to 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. So 11 continuous hours of basketball and basketball coverage with messages being reported and sent out throughout that entire time period. And so I think that's great. Now in regards to it coming back, we've got reports that it can come back as early as Friday night. And we've got reports that it'll be the weekend, but maybe not sure when on the weekend. It could be a Saturday, three o'clock restart. It could be a Sunday, three o'clock restart. It could be Friday noon. No one's exactly sure when this is supposed to come back, but the NBA will be back. The players voted to go back. The players voted to get back on the court. Ownership has already stated for pretty much all the teams and the league itself that they'll support whatever decision the players make. That it is completely the players' show. And if they decide they don't want to play, then we won't have the playoffs. If they decide they do want to play, which they did, then we'll have the playoffs on their time period. And so if they want to wait till Sunday to play, then let's wait till Sunday. If they want to go Friday night, let's go Friday night. But it is completely up to the players. And so I think ownership is taking a great stance here by allowing the players to lead the show. But I hope that they do their actions behind the scenes. The players have demands of them, and I hope they meet those demands. I hope they meet that criteria that the players are looking for. And ultimately, I am very excited that the NBA is coming back. Um, selfishly, I am. But I am proud of those players for stepping up and leading change in their communities throughout this country and invariably throughout the world. So that was amazing to see. That was amazing to watch. That was amazing to witness live. I mean, to see the image of an empty basketball court with the clock at zero, no scores up, no refs, no fans, no personnel, no basketball was powerful. It was incredibly powerful. And so I'm glad that that happened. I'm glad they decided to come back. And I can't wait to see how they use this newfound attention and these newfound eyeballs that maybe were not paying attention as closely as they should have been. I can't wait to see how they use that to further promote change in this country. But up next, I'm going to shift to the NFL and talk about what's going down there, including a little bit of hard knocks discussion. guys and we are back and now we're going to shift to the NFL and talk a little bit what's going down there so obviously in the wake of the Jacob Blake shooting they have canceled a lot of practices but before that we were seeing a lot of good progress out of camp to attack about Loa it's ready to be the third starter at the moment behind Josh Rosen and Ryan Fitzpatrick for the Dolphins now I think that along with Joe Burrow Justin Herbert Jordan Love these rookie quarterbacks are going to struggle early. Uh, we won't see Jordan Love on the field. He's behind Aaron Rodgers. We won't see Tua Tagovailoa on the field because he's behind Ryan Fitzpatrick and Josh Rosen. We won't see Justin Herbert on the field. He's behind 10-year vet Tyrod Taylor. The only quarterback we'll see on the field early as a rookie is Heisman winner Joe Burrow. And so when you've got the pressure of a franchise on your back, 
you have a very short camp, you have a less than ideal camp environment, and you don't have preseason games to get the rust out. You don't have any advantage or any preparation really because the last football game Joe Burrow would have played would have been a national championship game against Clemson in New Orleans in January. And then the next football game he's gonna play is week one in the NFL in September. I mean, that is a hard switch. No preseason, no real mini camps, nothing. He's just on the field playing football, quarterback in a not so talented roster in Cincinnati, and arguably the toughest division in football, definitely one of the best. And so that'll be a struggle for him, but he's looked good so far in camp. Jordan Love reportedly has been struggling in camp. Again, not shocking. No real camp, no preseason, none of the usual workout opportunities due to COVID. He's going to struggle. Matt LaFleur has a very complex offense. It is complex in the run and the pass. And Aaron Rodgers didn't have the best of luck with it the first couple of weeks last season. His numbers were down. They were winning, but his numbers were down across the board in the first few weeks until he finally picked it up and got rolling himself. Now, when discussing Justin Herbert, you can see his progression a little bit on hard knocks. They don't show it a ton, especially last our hard knocks was focused on the veteran players and the undrafted rookie players for both teams. So when you look at you know the Rams, you saw a lot of Aaron Donald, you saw a lot of Jared Goff. When you look at the Chargers, you saw a lot of Tyrod Taylor, and then you saw the undrafted free agent rookies on both teams that were trying to make an impact and trying to make the team. And those guys are at a strong disadvantage, a big disadvantage, a lot bigger than usual because A, they're undrafted free agents. So they're there for camp bodies mostly. And odds are 90% of them are gonna get cut and never even make the practice squad. Number two, they don't have a lot of live reps to prove it in game. Practice reps and live reps are completely different. So when you have practice reps, you're basically playing the mental game and the position game. Because if you win the mental game at practice, especially in non-live periods, if you're there to thud up a running back, or you're in the hole where the running back would be, or you're doing the right call, especially a linebacker or safety, you're calling the right things, where that's your advantage at practice. However, sometimes guys can just raw athleticism make a play. And so in practice, you're in the wrong spot. There's no running back that cut back that you can say you saw, there's nothing you can play it off. You're just in the wrong spot. In a preseason game, however, you could be in the wrong spot, but run into the running back and get a tackle. Or you can be in the wrong spot, but you see something, you make a play, you go downhill, you crash it. The coaches can't really say anything. And so with no preseason, quarterbacks at a huge disadvantage, rookie quarterbacks, because they don't see any live reps. Sure, periods are live in practice, but you don't get game reps. You don't get people you're not used to seeing every day. You don't know, okay, well, I know for a fact that if I give him this, he's gonna move. Or if I know that if this receiver is over here, he's got the clear advantage because he's been beating him all camp. No, you have to figure out things through film and stuff like that. But Hard Knocks was very interesting this week because of that focus. You saw the preparation of a Tyrod Taylor who's 10 years in the league, seven different teams. He was in front of Josh Allen. He was in front of Baker Mayfield. And now he's in front of Justin Herbert. So he is getting used to being moved out for first round quarterbacks and for quarterbacks of the future. But it turns out he's a great veteran leader. He ended the Buffalo Bills playoff streak. He was playing decently in Cleveland, 
pre-injured, and then he backed up Phillip Rivers last year on the Chargers, and he was back up for Joe Flacco on the Super Bowl team. So everywhere he goes, tends to win for the most part, Cleveland notwithstanding. And so he got a veteran like Tyrod Taylor. It was great to see his preparation and how he felt. He even threw a shout out to arrest the killers of Breonna Taylor. You can see the way he approaches the game and the way the undrafted free agents are approaching the game. Where Tyrod was about preparation, about getting this stuff, I'm out with that stuff, about getting this, I'm out with that. About the process to making sure everything was ready to go. You can see that with Jared Goff as well. He's about the process with Sean McVay coming back and trying to get everybody acclimated at Rams camp. But, and then you have the undrafted free agents who are scrambling like a chicken with their head cut off. They're trying to learn the NFL game. They're trying to adapt to a situation that is not normal in terms of, I'm now in the NFL. I was just in college football as a starter. I'm now in the NFL as a third, possibly fourth or fifth string player, trying to even make the team. I do not, I can't go home, because I'm at camp, I'm in a hotel. I don't have any family interaction because I don't want to contract COVID. I'm entering a building getting tested medically every day. I mean, it's weird for everybody, but at least Aaron Donald knows, okay, once he gets through the weird part of the medical at the beginning, he's back to camp. Sure, there's dividers between the lockers and coaches screaming into the space out and all the other stuff, but get back at football camp, especially once the pads come on, get back at camp. For a rookie, one of the rookies uh, before the Los Angeles Rams, Clay Johnston, whose dad was on NFL stats for years, a strength person, actually was really cool with Brett Favre. They even called Brett Favre Papa Favre. When he said that he hadn't tackled anybody in what felt like a year, he might not actually be kidding. He, I mean, it's not quite a year, but it's probably eight months. I mean, think about it, nobody's gonna willingly get signed up by to get tackled by an NFL linebacker. They weren't tackling in camp. They had no rookie mini camp. So let's say his last game was in early December, a bowl game. He didn't tackle anybody again until a week ago. It's like nine months off of not doing what his primary responsibility is on a football field, and that's tackling somebody. And so when you got big changes like that for rookies, they have to completely adjust to a different style of life. They don't know how to train for the NFL and stuff like that. But it's amazing to see rookies in their environment trying to learn. It's amazing to see coaches position coaches, receiver coaches, curse out receivers, saying, you want to play for Coach Lynn? You want to play for the Chargers? You've got a block. Because they have two receivers already. They got Kenan Allen, they've got Williams. So there's your one and your two. And so if you want to be that third guy in the rotation to have a chance to catch some balls for the team, you are going to have to block. Coach Lynn, who's called Anthony Lynn, refuses to have receivers on the team that don't block. And it was like right after that. They were showing... Anthony Lynn reviewing tape and talking about, man, the receiver didn't block. Like, what is this? He didn't even try to block. And talking about how much he loves Keenan Allen because Keenan Allen is top seven receiver in the NFL at worst. And he's uh, the best blocking receiver on the team because he's willing to block. He's willing to put his head in into piles and stuff like that. So Coach Lynn said, I go to the coordinators meeting every week saying, feed Keenan, feed Keenan, because he's earned it by blocking in practice, by blocking in the game. And so that was great to see how the coach got on them. He said, I've tried everything. I've tried being mean. I've tried being nice. I've tried being your friend. I've tried being your coach. I don't know what it's going to take to get you guys to block. And so when you've got approaches like that, it was great to see. I love football. So that's something that I enjoy seeing. 
Hard Knocks has taken its lowest ratings arguably ever. The last episode that came out was the lowest watch Hard Knocks ever. And many people attribute it to the NBA playoffs are on all day, every day now. You've got baseball that's back. Usually the only thing competing against Hard Knocks is a regular season baseball because basketball is done. You know, the only thing is regular season baseball. They have all the time in the world, 9 o'clock, 10 Eastern, to watch Hard Knocks. But now with basketball being on that late, people's eyes are then diverted. There's no scrimmage fights to watch. You know, that got leaked and now you get to watch it. There's no altercations. There's no preseason action that you get to see. Like we saw a lot from the Raiders last season. A lot of preseason action. That's most of Hard Knocks is cut days, preseason action, scrimmages, stuff like that. We've had one scrimmage so far, and that was the Rams, when they got the scrimmage in SoFi Stadium against each other. And so that could be explained a dip in the ratings. But as a guy who loves football, as a guy who loves the process of football, I enjoy watching it. And just a little news on the injury front. The Eagles have been hit hard with the injuries. They've lost two starting offensive linemen. They lost another one today to a torn pectoral muscle. So now Carson Wentz is going to have to work a little bit of overtime to try and get two offensive linemen now replaced, along with no camp. I mean, the season starts in three weeks, and so they've got to work in two new offensive linemen. So that's going to be very interesting to watch. The Bears had a minor scare with David Montgomery, but it turned out to be a growing strain. He'll be fine in two to four weeks, so right around the start of the season, he'll be back on the field. But up next, we'll be shifting to a little bit of other sports news and just talk a little bit more about the boycotts around the sporting world in America at this time. Alrighty guys, and we are back. And now we're just gonna shift to a little bit of sports news around the country. So the boycotts, as I mentioned earlier, have spread across the country through all sports. The MLS had a joint boycott between their teams that were gonna play. They decided to sit out. The MLB also decided to sit out. It's even spread into the world of tennis with Naomi Osaka, who is black and Asian, decided to not play in the rest of her tennis tournament as a sign of solidarity and a sign of protest and a boycott of her sport of tennis as well. You've seen the social media messages spread through all levels. And it's just great to see unity solidarity. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the National Hockey League did not participate in boycotts Wednesday night. Instead, they played. They had their playoffs and they decided to play. Which no qualm for me, and it shouldn't be a qualm for anybody else, but players in the league, specifically one of the African-American players, voiced his disapproval, saying that we're the only league in the country playing sports right now. We should have been with everyone else, trying to show a uniform American sports coalition. The MLB attempted to play Thursday, but players spoke out on social media about, you know, we're already battling COVID. Now you want us to ignore what's going on with the rest of our sports brethren, especially those guys in the NBA. And why are we the only sport playing today? Because even hockey decided to not play Thursday. And the MLB also decided to postpone their games. So I wonder how long the postponements will last. Obviously, basketball is talking about this weekend. We can see it as early as Friday. We can see it as late as Sunday. But the goal is to play this weekend. Will the other sports sit until basketball comes back? Or will ultimately those sports decide to move forward with their own version of protest, but still play their games and still perform their job duties? Now, just to go through the world of sports, you're looking at 
the NFL who is not in their season. They're in training camp. And they've been shutting practices down. The Los Angeles Chargers canceled a scrimmage and instead had talks through their locker room, productive talks, according to Coach Anthony Lynn, about the different things going on in the community and in the country. You have baseball players coming out with their statements. You've got the NBA on the front lines battling this thing. Almost every NFL team has either put out something on Twitter or social media in general, either a player speaking out about it or a team issued statement. As I said, it's transitioning into tennis. It's transitioning to hockey. We see America as a whole with the people in sport, the people that we look up to, most of them African-American in regards to basketball and football. They're now putting out statements and now we're seeing allies in the other sports that are not African-American also standing up in support of the movement to get things changed. And so I think that it is a great sign when you've got that many people on one accord, when you've got that many groups of people all in one strive to get things done. It's great to see and it's great to hear and hopefully something gets done and gets changed. I mean, it's been great to see. Uh, obviously I miss sports and sports have been gone not even that long since Wednesday they've been gone and honestly it's been weird it's been a struggle for me personally um, I had a lot of free time my hands all of a sudden I'm sure a lot of people did as well but obviously the reason was the correct reason and the decision was the correct one I mean I just like me and the people I'm gonna support whatever decision that the players make if they ultimately decide Saturday night you know what we just can't do it and we're gonna leave the bubble we're gonna exit and that's what's gonna happen, then great for them. If they decide Friday night, man, let's get this thing ramping up Saturday afternoon, great for them. I'm supportive of whatever decision they make. Ultimately, uh, financials will take a small part in the decision. Losing that playoff revenue would cause a CBA collapse and maybe we don't have basketball for the next 12 months. But obviously that's something that they're willing to sacrifice and I would support the sacrifice if it were to happen. So we'll be interested what goes down in the NBA along with the rest of the sports world and how they return back to a sense of normalcy following the Jacob Blake incident. But up next, we will have our best for last, which will be a discussion about college football's AP poll that they put out not too long ago and even include some of the teams that are playing. So we'll take a look at that and discuss that right after the break. And we are back. And in best for last, we're going to talk about the college football AP poll top 25. Now, it was released based on all the colleges playing. So obviously, it's a little inaccurate because schools like Ohio State and Penn State and Oregon will not be playing Wisconsin, will not be playing in the fall, possibly at all this season. But the top 10 is Clemson, Ohio State. Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, LSU, Penn State, Florida, Oregon, and Notre Dame. So just some things that stand out to me about this top 25. Like I said, the schools that won't be playing, so that's the Big Ten and the Pac-12, rules out four members of the top 12. But when you look at it, okay, Clemson being one, that's fine. They were, they're in a weaker conference and they are a dominant program in that conference. Ohio State being two, they're probably going to win the Big Ten, maybe lose a game. 
So that's fine. Alabama's three, Georgia's four. That's where the issue starts. So LSU did lose a lot of talent, and they're at six right now. But they do bring back the best cornerback in the country in Derek Stingley, one of the best receivers in the country in Jamar Chase. They bring back a lot of experience from their championship team that although they may not have played, they were involved in the locker room and the cultural shift of LSU football. And so I think that, in my opinion, LSU should be three. Bama, four. Georgia, five. Oklahoma, six. I would have Florida above Penn State. So Florida, seven. Penn State, eight. I never get the Notre Dame obsession. They never seem to live up to it. But schools consistently rank them that high. Polls always have them that high. And so they're at 10 right now. I probably have them 15. I do not get the obsession behind Texas A&M this season as well. I just don't see the talent, although they're returning a lot of players. So maybe this is the year that Texas A&M gets it together and if they play well at the next level and if they play well in this 10-game SEC conference schedule. But all in all, the AP poll doesn't have too many wows, too many shockers. Like I said, Notre Dame feels a bit high to me at 10, and AM feels a bit high to me at 13. And USC feels a bit low to me at 17, even though you won't get to see them on the field this season. But that is what my thoughts are on the AP 25 poll. We'll get to talk about a lot of college football, obviously, unless they're on the field. But that was just something I wanted to touch on today. It's best for last. Not a lot of sports news going on this week due to the cancellation and stuff like that. So I just wanted to touch on the AP poll this week. But that is all I have for today's show. I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope you guys are enjoying this thing. We're going to keep it rolling. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Remember, you can find it on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Tell your friends. Hit that subscribe button. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.